How we doing? We good? Good, man. It is so good to be back with you here. And uh, like we heard, you heard before, uh, we had a team in Kenya last weekend uh, from our church, uh, 11 of us that were there uh, visiting our churches. In fact, I got to preach in Revolution Church Kikiring last Sunday, which was incredible. Uh, they're eight hours ahead of us. And so we had service there. And then eight hours later, we were able to watch uh, through technology. The service is here. And so it was incredible. Uh, in fact, after the message was over last weekend, one of our drivers who drives, we have two vehicles that we all stuff in and get out to the villages, literally going through the desert. It's incredible. You should come sometime. And after I got done preaching, pastor, or not pastor, there's Pastor Jackson, and then there's Jackson, our driver, and we call him Axon Jackson. Uh, afterwards, he came up and said, Pastor, powerful sermon, powerful. Then he goes, short, but powerful. <laughs> and I said, I have never been told that before in my life. Uh, short, but powerful. And I preached for almost 30 minutes there, but typically a service there, the, the sermon's about an hour to an hour and a half long. Um, and so I'm going to prepare better for that next time because I, I just got advanced warning uh, that I was going to preach that day, just that day. Uh, and so I preached for about 25, 30 minutes, uh, obviously through a translator, but it was incredible to worship together uh, at Revolution Church Kikiring, which is one of our churches. Uh, and the most amazing thing about going on a mission trip is not just experiencing God during the trip uh, and seeing what he's doing there, but leaving with this sense that, and I, and I tell our teams this every time, that our God is a global God, that he is at work all over the globe. Um, and it's amazing to see what God is doing here. But man, when you're out of your normal environment and you're seeing him literally in a village uh, on the other side of the world, thousands of miles away, you're like, okay, you really are global. You really are at work all over the world. And so I'd highly encourage you to go. We've got trips to go every year, and it's amazing. We also got to be a part of launching another church. We'll talk more about that over the next several weeks. And so it's just an incredible trip. Uh, and I just want to not only you know, give you a recap, and I'll talk more about this over the next several weeks, but also let's give it up for Pastor David, who pro preached last weekend, man, did an incredible job. Um, Teaching through Romans, like I said, we got to see uh, part of it um, eight hours later. So it was like 5 p.m. Kenya time when we were watching the services. And so they'll be watching today. Uh, we have so many Kenyans now, not only our pastors and other people, but so many just people in the country of Kenya that watch our messages. And so Kenya, we love you. Glad you're watching here today. All right. But speaking not only just of Kenya, but God is working here in the States as well. And if you weren't aware, if you hadn't seen social media yet, but today is the last Sunday that our Jasper location is going to be meeting in the high school. So this is the last Sunday we're going to meet in the high school because next Sunday on the 8th will be our first Sunday in our brand new facility in Jasper. Yeah, come on, somebody. Man, it is... It is incredible, man. Pastor Chad and our whole team has done just an amazing job of getting that campus ready. We were there yesterday for what we called our Rev Kids Assembly Day, putting together all the cribs and chairs in the Rev Kids rooms. And so many people showed out for that. And we had the landscaping day a few weeks ago. Uh, so it's exciting, man. I mean, today is March 1st. And I was just thinking earlier, this is like multiply March, baby. All right. God is just doing a lot in the life of our church. And then we got the grand opening coming in March 22nd, on March 22nd for our Jasper location. And then just a few weeks after that, we got Easter. And so it's going to be an incredible time in the life of our church over the next six weeks. 
Uh, and so we are going to talk about that today in the sermon, but I want to ask you to be praying as well, uh, because I know we've had a, a lot of rain, a lot of weird weather over the last several weeks, but we need you to pray for it not to rain. All right. The parking lot in Jasper is not done yet, uh, but hopefully it will be done before we have grand opening, which we don't mind parking on gravel, but it is nicer if we have, you know, everything finished in order to welcome new people. So be praying about that over the next few weeks. It's huge, man. Uh, we move in next weekend. It gives us a couple weeks to work out the kinks and then have our grand opening a few weeks before we Easter, uh, which is really, really strategic. Uh, it lets us reach new people and then also all the guests that we're going to get on Easter as well. So be praying about that. Uh, can't wait to continue to update you on what God is doing. All right. If you have a Bible, open it up to Romans chapter 12. We're just going to keep through, uh, keep preaching through Romans chapter 12. Pastor David last week did chapter 12, verses three through eight, talking about gifts. And this week we're going to pick it up in verse nine, go to verse 13. All right. So let's pray and ask God to bless our time together. Then we'll jump into the text. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for, uh, the fact that you are God. Um, you are God above all. Literally, the scriptures describe earth as your footstool. And so, God, we live on such a huge planet, um, but it is nothing compared to you. So thank you, God, for working not only here in Canton and in Jasper, but in Kenya. Um, it's a privilege to be a part of what you're doing on this planet. Um, and God, we thank you for the opportunity that you've allowed us to get in on what you're doing. Uh, and so, God, we just pray that as we open up your word today, that you would continue to work. Uh, we know that all of us have areas in our life that we need to change, we need to grow. And we can't do that without the preaching of your word and without the Holy Spirit bringing it to truth in our hearts. And so would you do that in Jesus' name? Amen. So we're in Romans chapter 12. If you are new to our church or been coming the last several weeks, we preached through Romans chapter 1 through 11 last year in 2019. And then we are now finishing up the book, chapter 12 through 16. And the reason why we took a break in between those two is we had obviously a lot of things going on in the life of the church, multiply things that we needed to talk about. But our theme for 2020 is integration. We want to be people that are integrated. We, we live uh, with integrity. We do what we say. And chapter 12 through 16 is exactly about that. So if you want to be an integrated person, if you want to be a person that has integrity, chapter 12 of Romans is a great place to start. But the thing with chapter 12 in Romans is you won't understand it unless you understand chapters 1 through 11. Because in chapters 1 through 11, it tells us what the doctrine of the gospel is. What is our faith? What does it mean to be saved? And so you got chapters one through 11 is right belief, how we believe. And then chapters 12 through 16 is how we respond or how we live out what we say we believe. And so when you bring those two things together, right belief and right practice, how you live and how your belief system, then you are a person of integrity. And so chapter 12 marks a turning point. And so since it does, I want to go back to verse 1 and just recap that before we get into verse 9, all right? So chapter 12, verse 1, it says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, therefore, marks a transition, like I've said, between the first 11 chapters now to chapter 12. And he says, and I love how the old NIV says it, in view of the mercy of God or in view of the mercies of God. What chapters 1 through 11 was about was the mercy of God. Everything that God has done to save us, how he has been so merciful to us. And then in chapter 12 says, in response to that, 
we're going to live our lives as a living sacrifice, which is, he says, your spiritual worship, which I told you a few weeks ago, the word spiritual there is literally where we get our English word logical. It only makes sense. When you understand how merciful God has been to you, it only makes sense that you would live your life in response to that. And so that's what we're talking about. And David, Pastor David talked last week between verses three through eight about spiritual gifts and how God has gifted each one of us. And today we're gonna talk about verses nine through 13, then we'll finish up the chapter next week, spiritual fruit. And so this is how we live in response to the love of God or the mercy of God. So look at verse nine. Let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Now, I'm just gonna break down these verses, verse by verse, verse nine through verse 13, because each one of them is so loaded. I mean, I can almost do a sermon on each one of them. But verse nine, the very first thing that he talks about now, after he's talked about spiritual gifts, is he's getting into spiritual fruit, and this is what should be true of all of us. And I think it's very fitting, I would say ironic, but it's not ironic, because the very first thing that he mentions in Galatians chapter five, when it comes to the fruit of the spirit, is love. So it's fitting that the very first thing that he would say in verse nine that should be true of all of us is love. Here's why this matters. We all have different gifts. All of us have different gifts. This is what Pastor David was talking about. You have a gift that God has given you to build up the church. So all of us have different gifts. So therefore, a specific gift is not a marker of spiritual maturity. There's been a lot of damage, I think, done in the church when people say, well, you gotta have this spiritual gift or this spiritual gift or this spiritual gift or you're not really mature. I don't think that's true. The point is you should just have a spiritual gift. But the real marker of spiritual maturity is not the gift, it's the fruit. And the real fruit is love. In fact, a lot of theologians believe in Galatians chapter five, when he gives the fruit of the spirit, that it's not a plural list because it's fruit, not fruits. The fruit of the spirit is love. And then those other things are describing what love is. So the real marker of maturity is love. Here's why. Because you can have a certain personality that God hardwired into you. You can have certain spiritual gifts that God hardwired into you. And all of us are different, and that's what makes us unique. That's what makes us the body of Christ. So we all have different gifts, but being a jerk is not one of them. Why do I say that? Because a lot of times we will say things like, well, that's just the way I am. I just tell it like it is. Well, guess what? Being a jerk is not a measure of spiritual maturity, and it's not a spiritual gift. The measure of spiritual maturity is love. So it doesn't matter. Listen to me, church, and I say this often because I come back around to it because I'll still hear it. It doesn't matter what your spiritual gift is. Your gifting or your wiring is not an excuse to be a jerk. Well, that's just the way I am. Well, maybe that's how you were before Christ. But now in Christ, love. Love is everything. 
This is why it's so interesting to me in 1 Corinthians, which Paul also wrote, in chapters 14 through 16, he's talking about spiritual gifts. But in chapter 13, right before the spiritual gifts conversation, this is the chapter that we always do at marriages and weddings, which is fine, but it's about love. But he says in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, hey, love, because without love, you got nothing. And then right after verse 13, or chapter 13 is chapter what? You guys are so smart, all right? Remember, I need you to call and response. I just got from, back from Africa, all right? And our African brothers and sisters, I say this every year when I come back, they talk back with me, all right? They don't talk back to me, but with me, all right? And, and they say eh, or oh, or yeah, mostly eh. And, and in, that, in Swahili, it's like amen. So it's kind of the beginning part. So feel free to amen me, all right? Feel free to talk with me. And it was funny, I was having a conversation with some of the pastors, like, we don't want you to wait till the end of the sermon to know that we were with you, to know that we were listening. So they do it all along the way. And so when I ask for a call and response, like what comes after 13, feel free to say, you guys are awesome. All right, thank you. All right. So before he gets into the spiritual gifts conversation, he gets into spiritual fruit, which is love. And this is a failure, I think, a lot of times, particularly in the American church, because we live in such an individualized culture that we highlight certain gifts and we miss the thing that should be true about all of us, no matter what the gift is. Love. And then he says this, let love be genuine. What's interesting about this word here, genuine, literally the Greek word for this, and I'm gonna try my best to say this, is anahypocritos, it's unhypocritical, all right? <laughs> literally, the Greek word is unhypocritical. So here's what he says, let love not be hypocritical. Let it be genuine. Because what is hypocritical love? Hypocritical love, and again, we're really great at this as Americans because we only got one word for love. In English, Greeks got four, some say five. So it's very specific. But would you agree that in 21st century America, we have really made the word love shallow? We don't know what it means. And so a lot of us will throw around the word love, but we do it very hypocritically. It's not genuine. Why? Because the next two statements he says is how love is genuine. You abhor what is evil and you cling to what is good. So what does that mean or what does that have to do with love being genuine? Let me explain it to you. Love or genuine love, this word here, love, is the Greek word. You've been around church. You probably heard this, agape. And we call it God-like love. And the reason being because agape is all about loving somebody that's at a different status than you. So we call it God-like love because God is holy, but he loves unholy people. So love is looking at someone who would necessarily be below you for a different status, and yet you demonstrate. And so agape is a demonstration. It's an action of love. So in order for love to be genuine or unhypocritical, there's two actions that must take place. And he tells us what they are. One is we hate, the word abhor means to hate. We hate evil and we cling to what is good. Now let me explain how that works in the context of a relationship. If I'm in relationship with you and I love you and I'm gonna love you in an unhypocritical way, then there's two things I'm gonna do. I'm gonna hate the things in you that are evil and I'm gonna love the things in you that are good. I'm going to hate the things that are evil. I'm going to love the things that are good. Now, 
if I'm in relationship with you, I love you by saying that the evil things in you are actually evil. See, this is where we've gotten so confused with love in America because we think love is just affirming what somebody feels. Just affirming it. It's like, well, real love just affirms it all. No, I can't affirm things that God calls evil. And so love is not, again, think about this in terms of a parent. If I love my kid, am I gonna just let my kid do whatever he or she wants? No. Because there are things in this world that are evil. And if I call out evil that I see in my kid, I'm actually loving them. In fact, the opposite is also true. If I don't call out evil in my kids, I don't love them. In fact, I hate them. You understand how much you have to hate somebody not to call out evil in their lives? But here's where we can make a mistake in 21st century America. We no longer have relationships with people because of social media and all kinds of other things. So we just call out evil in everybody that we don't even have relationships with. Right? Thank you. Eh? Anybody? Yeah. This is pretty much, I just described your Facebook feed. Just calling out evil wherever we see it. And again, I'm not saying that we shouldn't call out evil in the culture. What I'm saying, though, is we should always do it in the context of relationships. If I have a relationship with you, a spouse, a kid, a friend, I have to earn the right to call that out because we're in relationship with each other. And I would be a hypocrite if I didn't. But there's a second action that he says here, which this is the one that I think that we really need to understand, especially in the church. He says, cling to what is good. Now, None of us are inherently good. Humans are not inherently good. I don't care what doc, every documentary that you ever watch says, they are not inherently good. Humans are inherently evil. We are bent toward evil. It doesn't mean that you can't do anything good. It just means that even when you do it good, you want credit for it, which is evil. You with me? So we're all inherently evil. This is why one of the first three words almost always out of a newborn's mouth is mama, daddy, and mine. Now, did you have to teach your kid how to say mine? No, I didn't have to teach my kids how to sin. They came by naturally. They sin because they're sinners. And they say mine. They just, that's what happens. But my job in relationship with them is not just to call that out, but it's also to cling to or to call out the good that God has put in them. Because when you come to Christ, you are now made alive in Christ. He gifts you. He gives you fruit, the evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life, and we are to call that out. And this, I think, is a lost art. Because... We don't know how to encourage anymore. We don't know how to, I love this word cling. It's the idea of glue. It's the same concept of what happens when two people, two flesh come together in marriage and they become one flesh. They are glued together. And the reason why the Bible says when two people come together and married people do what married people do, 
I don't have to get into that. That's a whole relationship series, all right? But when married people do what married people do, it glues them together. And the Bible says that was never meant to come apart. The reason why is because, have you ever glued two pieces of paper together? And when they dry, when you take them apart, does it come apart nicely? No, this is why every relationship you've ever been in that ended, it didn't come apart nicely. Because you glue together, and when you glue together, you're clean together, and now pieces of you are with them, and pieces of them are with you. It, it's like, the best example I can give you. Like after you buy something and there's that sticker of the sales price on there, you ever try to take that off? Like I, I, someone should start a business. We would just mail them to you and you take it off cleanly. I would pay for that. Cause like you try to take that sucker off and you get like two, a third of the way through and then it just starts not coming out and you're like, that mess with it, right? And then you start trying to rub it off and get alcohol and get that thing off, especially if you're going to give this as a gift to somebody because you don't want them to know how cheap you are and how much you really paid for it, right? (laughs) But it's that idea of clinging to, of gluing to. So here's what I'm saying. You want to really glue yourself to somebody? Call out the good in them. Calling out the good of what God is doing them glues them to you. And that is genuine love. I hate what is evil, but I'm clinging. I'm gluing to what is good. One of the primary jobs of a parent is to call out the good that God has put in. Call it out. Recognize it. Encourage it. And we'll get into this more in just a second, but, but this is genuine love. This is what it means to let love be genuine. Now he goes on, look at verse 10. How do I do that? Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Love one another with brotherly affection. What's interesting, this word love is a different Greek word than the one that was in the verse before it. Because I told you agape love is when you, when you demonstrate love to somebody who doesn't deserve it. But this word here, love, is the Greek word philostorgos, and then it says with brotherly affection is a word that you all know is the word Philadelphia. We don't root for the teams in Philadelphia, but we should all live out Philadelphia, all right? I don't root for the Eagles. No, sir. Because <laughs> I'm from Texas, Cowboys fans. All right, if you're from Philly, that's fine. That's, oh, I got some, hey, man, I got some claps up in here. Awesome, man. But this word, Philadelphia, you know because this city is the city of what? Brotherly love. Great name for a city. Great place. I've been there. This love is not when I'm, I'm loving somebody that's on a different level than me. This love it means I'm loving somebody on the same level. So let me explain this to you. The way that I love somebody that's on a different level than me, I love them like they're on the same level. That is how I demonstrate it. I love them like they're my brother. I love them like they're my sister. And this is what I love about the Bible. When Jesus came, he saved us not only from our past. He didn't just save us from something. He saved us to something. He saved us to his new family, the new family of Jesus. And now the Bible says that Jesus is the son of God. And Romans 8 describes this. Because we are saved by the son of God, we are now all children of God. Jesus is our older brother. And if I'm a child of God, you're a child of God, then that makes you my brother and sister. 
And the way that I demonstrate God-like love to you is I treat you like you're my equal. I treat you like we are family. I love you with this brotherly affection. Well, how do I treat you like you're an equal? The next phrase there, outdo one another in showing honor. Now, if calling out good in somebody was a lost art in America, honoring somebody went by the wayside a long time ago. Specifically, even in the church, we don't honor one another. Because what is honor? Honor is I'm actually raising you up as though you are above me. I'm raising you up. See, there's one direction that the Bible calls us to take. It calls us to humble ourselves, which is to, this is what Pastor David was talking about last week, not think too much of ourselves, but with sober judgment, we go low. I humble myself, and when I humble myself, now I'm in the proper posture to lift someone else up. So that's what honor is. So here's what we're called to do. We are called to humble ourselves and honor others. But you want to know what we do? We flip that, don't we? We honor ourselves and humble others. Isn't that what we do? Come on. That right there just described 95% of your marriage problems. Like you might need pastoral care. And I was joking about this last service. I can solve 95% of your marriage problems, right? We don't have, let's do pastoral care right now. Humble yourself, honor your spouse. In fact, I was joking. I'm just going to tell the, uh, our ladies to answer the phone. If you need pastoral care, that's the first thing. Have you honored your spouse and humbled yourself? Do that before you set a meeting. For real. Humble yourself. Honor your spouse. You want to know why? Because there is, hear me, there is no command in the Bible for you to humble others. It's not there. There is a lot of commands in the Bible for you to humble yourself. Humble yourself and honor others. Let me say it to you like this. Think of yourself less and think of others more. I would say think less of yourself, but we were so messed up today psychologically that then you would be like, oh, self-deprecating. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying think less of yourself, but I'm saying think of yourself less. I've had people in my life, believe it or not, tell me before that they were here to humble me. They were here to keep me humble. I would just like to submit to you that is not a spiritual gift. <laughs> this is what was crazy being in Africa. When we go to Africa, Africa obviously is a different culture. Even within the continent of Africa, you have different cultures. But Eastern Africa, where we were in Kenya, one of the things that's really big in African culture is honoring people in authority. And it's always weird for our teams. In fact, so weird that we always have a meeting about it. And Steve, who leads Serve, who's a part of our church that we are in partnership with, always explains to people, says, listen, because we fly into Nairobi and then we go up north to the northern part of the, the country of Kenya. And in the northern part of the country of Kenya, it's a very different culture. 
He says, listen, whenever we get into that culture, you need to understand something. In this culture, because they drive on the right side of the car and the, right, the wrong side, let's just be honest, all right? They, the steering wheel is on the right side, which is the wrong side, but they like to say that it's the right side. I'm like, no, America's right. The whole world is wrong, all right? But then in the passenger seat, they always want to put the pastor in the passenger seat. Now, I got to be honest with you, or, or whoever's the leader, not just the pastor. So Steve, myself, other people will normally sit up there because it's a seat of honor. And we have to have a conversation with our teams and say, listen, in this culture, they honor. Now, me naturally, I'm like, I'm just going to sit in the back. I don't have to honor myself. I want to humble myself. And it's always this internal wrestle with myself. Like, I don't want to sit up there, but we're in their culture. Never did I hear my name, Jason, without first hearing the word pastor in front of it. It's Pastor Jason, Pastor Jason. In fact, a lot of times they would just call me pastor. Very honoring culture. So much so that it feels weird to us as Americans. Like, let's be honest. Even right now, as I'm talking about this, you're thinking to yourself, oh no, he's going to say that we got to honor him. <laughs> right? You're already thinking that, aren't you? You're like, Pastor Jason's on power trip. <laughs> trying to make us more African. No, I'm just trying to make us more godly. Listen, I'm not asking you to honor me. I'm asking you to honor everyone. Honor one another. Humble yourself. Honor one another. Is that not what Christ did? Philippians 2 says, he didn't consider equality with God something to be held on to, but he emptied himself. He humbled himself to the point of death on a cross. Therefore, God has exalted him above every name. Listen, my friends, you humble yourself and honor others and God will exalt you. That's the move. You humble yourself you honor others. And the reason why I'm highlighting this is because I saw it on display. And, and, and yes, we should honor our pastors. Hebrews says that. Honor your leaders. Why? Because they will give an account for caring for your souls. But we should also honor our spouses. Humble ourselves. Honor them. Anybody you should treat as though they are better than you. And you should treat yourself as though you are their servant. Why? Because this is what Jesus did, right? Even Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. So why is Paul highlighting this? Because this is the pattern that we should have. What does it mean to be a living sacrifice? Well, it means to sacrifice yourself and honor others. It means to humble yourself and honor others. And we do that so that our love isn't hypocritical. Now he goes on, look at verse 11. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. If you don't want to know what slothful is, just watch the movie Zootopia, look at the sloth, all right? <laughs> it's doing things slowly, lazily. What's interesting is this word here, be fervent, literally means to boil, to, be, to boil. Have you ever seen boiling water? Like when, when it hits that, 212 degrees, it starts bubbling, right? It's very, it's busy. It's like going. It's, that's the idea here. 
And I guess this is where people got the phrase of like, I'm on fire for Jesus, like, which I just can't stand that phrase. I guess more biblical is just boil for Jesus, all right? <laughs> which please don't start saying that either. But the idea of it comes out of Revelation chapter three, where Jesus says, I wish you were hot or cold, but this lukewarm mess you got going on makes me nauseous. So the idea here is this, don't be lazy in showing love. Don't be lazy in doing these things. Be fervent, serve the Lord. Now here's what's so interesting. We have to be careful when we talk about serving the Lord. Because when you talk about serving, whenever you're serving somebody, you're serving because they have a need that needs to be met and you're meeting it. But we have to be careful when we talk about serving the Lord because the Lord is not needy. So we don't serve God because God needs something. In fact, this is what's crazy. To be a Christian is to let God serve you in Christ. Christ came to serve you. And even in heaven, this is what's crazy. His greatness will be defined by, for all eternity, him serving us. And so to receive that is to be saved. But I want you to understand something. When Christ serves us, we don't serve him back in return as though he needs it. This is so huge. We don't pay it back to Jesus. We pay it forward to people. He serves us so that through us, he can serve more people. So serving the Lord is shown by our, our posture. We humble ourselves and we honor others. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 22. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. How? I prove that I love God by loving my neighbor. I don't love God because God needs to be loved. I don't serve God because God needs to be served. I am served by God so that through me, God can continue to serve others. This is what Paul's getting at here. We served the Lord by serving others, which is why he says the next two verses, look at this, verse 12. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. If you wanna know what it means to love God, the first commandment, that's a good summation of it. Rejoice in hope. What is your hope? Your hope is that Jesus is coming back. He was raised from the dead. He will raise us from the dead. We rejoice in that. So to love God means I have an unshakable joy. I have an unshakable joy. I'm rejoicing. I'm rejoicing. I'm rejoicing. And then the second one, be patient in tribulation. Notice it doesn't say rejoice in tribulation, but be patient. Why? Because according to Romans chapter eight, verse 28, all these things God's working together for good for those who love him called according to his purpose. What is he talking about? The verses 12 through 27 right before that is this tribulation is producing in us a glory. So I can rejoice in hope and be patient in tribulation because I know that this tribulation God is using to make me rejoice more. He's using it to make me more like Christ. And in that, I rejoice and be constant in prayer. So again, we don't serve the Lord through these things, but in these things, we're actually showing that we love the Lord. 
But that's not all. There's a second one or the second command. And look at verse 13. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. See, I serve the Lord, not by serving him, but by contributing to the needs of others. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Now, this is so important. You know, David talked last week about spiritual gifts. And there's phrases, and I didn't grow up in church, and so there's phrases and words that we call it Christianese now that people use that I think really hurts the body. And one of those is people will ask me, hey, when were you called to be a pastor? And my response always is, I was called when I became a Christian. Because, now listen to me, my calling is not to be a pastor. My calling is to contribute. I'm gifted to be a pastor. I'm gifted to preach. I'm gifted to lead. But those two gifts are not my calling. I'm called to contribute. This is why this is so important. Because you can sit there in the seat and think, oh, he's called or she's called, but I'm not. Listen to me. Every single one of you are called to contribute. Every single one of you. Now, you may not be gifted to preach. You may not be gifted to sing. And that's why we abhor it when you do. <laughs> right? Like, that's evil. Don't want to hear that. Say, you know, the family's on American Idol here. No, you're gifted. And how do you know you're gifted? Just try it. And if people say you're gifted, you're probably gifted. I preached my first sermon when I was 17. People showed up again. And I just kept doing it. But there are some things I am not gifted in. Singing is one of them. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Detail stuff is one of them. I'm not, I'm not called, I'm not gifted in that. But listen, I don't want you to think that if you're not gifted to preach that you're any less called. You are called to contribute. Every single one of us is called to contribute. But you're gifted to do it in a specific way. And this is why this is so important coming off of last week's message because if we don't understand this, then we will live a life of consumerism and not one of contribution. You are not called to just consume. You are cons called to consume the grace of God, but you're not called to just consume it. You're called to contribute what you consume. We say blessed to be a blessing. Now, does that include giving? Of course it does. And you know, I've been around here for a decade now, and so it's not weird to me to talk about giving anymore. If it's weird for you, I'm sorry. It's not weird. You wanna know why? Because I get to give. I get to contribute. It is an honor now. And I want you to contribute. So I have no problem asking you to give. And those of you who've been around here, you're like, yeah, I know. But it's not just money. You wanna know, this is what's crazy. The word for honor, literally the Greek word for honor, I'm gonna spell it for you. 
This is not a joke. The Greek word for honor is T-I-M-E. What does that spell? You guys are so smart. Time. So when we're talking about contributing, if you're honoring, then you're gonna use your time. You're gonna contribute your time. That's how I honor somebody. I honor somebody by contributing my time. In fact, it's harder today to, to contribute time than it is to contribute money, isn't it? And so we're all called to contribute, which means we're called to redeem our time, redeem our finances is every area of life. Why? Because we're seeking to show hospitality. Now, hospitality is not just like lighting a Bed Bath & Beyond candle and having like hors d'oeuvres when people come over to your house. I'm not saying that's not hospitality. I'm just saying that's like the basics. Hospitality in the church, now listen to me, is not just welcoming people into the house. It's welcoming people into heaven. It's welcoming people into the kingdom of God. That's why we contribute. We're contributing because we want to welcome people. This is why we call our first-time guest uh, teams and our ushers and our greeters and our parking people. They're all a part of the welcome team. Why? Because we're wel we are welcoming people into our house, but we're welcoming people into our house because we want to welcome people into heaven. That's why we're planting churches in Kenya. That's why we're starting campuses. That's why we're doing all the things that we're doing because we want to let our love be genuine, not hypocritical, and show the world that there is a new family that they can be welcomed into. And so we have a unique opportunity, man. And we'll talk more about this over the next few weeks. But yeah, Jasper's moving into our new building next week. Then we've got grand opening on the 22nd, and we have a huge opportunity to welcome new people. And then just a few weeks after that, we have Easter at both locations all over the world, and we will have a huge opportunity to welcome in people. I mean, literally thousands of more people will come on Easter. You're like, where are you going to put them? We got Saturday night services. We need you to move to Saturday night services so that we can make room for new people. But if you don't have a heart that's welcoming, then you'll force Gump them. You're like, what's that? They'll come into the church and you'd be like, you can't sit here. I don't know if you know this, but I sit on the end of the fourth row. That is my parking spot. I've been going to this church for 10 years. I gave you this building. You laugh, but you know how many people think like that? That ain't your chair. That ain't my chair. What if our love was genuine and we said, you know what? I do normally sit here, but you're a guest in our house today. Would you sit here? I want to welcome you. What if you took a first-time guest to lunch afterwards and said, welcome to the family? Now, you know what church people do? The first question is, we got a program for that? Nope, I ain't got one, because we got you. What if all of us just lived like that? Then we don't need a program. You give up your parking spot, you give up your seat, you give up your time, you give up your dollars, 
because God has called you to contribute. And in doing so, you're proving that your love is genuine by humbling yourself and honor the guest among us. You wanna know why that's the posture we take, church? It's because that's the posture that Jesus took. He humbled himself. He honored us. See, so many times we think, well, I'll honor them when they become honorable. Did Jesus take that approach with you? No. In fact, in honoring you is what made you honorable. What if, what if the people in our lives are not living up to their calling to contribute because you haven't honored them into it yet? Because they don't think there's any way God could use them. But if you say, listen, man, God honored me by humbling himself. He saved me not because I was worth saving, but because I was so not. And so I'm going to humble myself and serve you and honor you because that's what my Lord did. And he gave me an example. You think that would change your marriage? You think that would change this church? I would like to see. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. And God, I thank you that your word is so honest that you haven't asked us to do anything that you first haven't done because you're not a hypocrite. You're asking us to humble ourselves and honor others because that's what you did. You're not asking us to honor ourselves and humble others. That is not a ministry in the church because that is not the heart of our God. And so God, I pray right now, if there's anybody here or listening that needs to know that you came to serve them, you humbled yourself so that you could honor them, so that you could save them into the new person that you wanted them to be. God, if there's nobody here who has humbled themselves and sought forgiveness, God, then now is the time for them to do that. Nobody looking around or talking here as we close, but if you've never humbled yourself and trusted Christ and been saved, today you can have the opportunity to do that. And it's very simply, you can pray with me, not out loud, and it goes like this. Say, Father, thank you for loving me so much that you sent Jesus to humble himself, to die in my place so that I could become a new person and be saved. So would you save me? Would you forgive me? I humble myself. Again, nobody looking around or talking, but if you just prayed that with me, then the Bible says, by grace, through faith in Christ, now you are a new person. And we wanna know that. So if you just prayed that with me, again, nobody looking around or talking, we just lift your hand so we can see that. 
Thank you. Thank you. We have a gift we want to give you. But then all of us together, again, especially those of us who have been saved, we have humbled ourselves. You need to understand that humbling yourself is something that you do the rest of your life. And as a church, as the new family of Jesus, our new pattern now is loving others genuinely by humbling ourselves and honoring them. And so we have a unique opportunity today to live out this gospel. And I pray that our church would be so starkly different from the world that it would be attractive. That our marriages and our relationships and our friendships and our church would be so different where we're all humbling ourselves and honoring one another. Father, would you make this happen? And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.